The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. That very day, the first day of the week, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped, looking downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? They said to him, The things that, <clears throat> the things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. How our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced he was alive. And then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke! Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther. But they urged him, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them, and it happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. And then they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And then the two recounted what had taken place on the way 
and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. The Gospel of the Lord. The great symbol of the Easter season is the Paschal candle. The tall candle enthroned next to our ambo from which the scriptures and most especially the gospel are proclaimed. And that is not by accident. In fact, the symbolism itself is illustrative of what we have just heard in this particular gospel passage by St. Luke. But note the position. Note that it is placed where the candle sheds light on the words. Where the candle sheds light on the book. Because as St. Peter stresses in our first reading and as the Lord himself illustrates in our gospel reading, it is Jesus who illumines and makes clear the meaning of the speaking of the scriptures. It is easy to forget that. It is easy to reduce even something as powerful as sacred scripture to simply another book with ideas and information in it. But it is not that. Those words are all at the service of a greater word, that word made flesh whom we name Jesus Christ. And without Jesus, the full speaking of the scriptures is simply inaccessible to us. And so we have St. Peter beginning with exactly this point in our first reading. And note what he does, how similar it is to what Jesus does with those two disciples on the way to the village of Emmaus. St. Peter begins speaking out of the depth of sacred scripture, the words of the prophets, the words of the Psalms, the words of King David. And as he does so, he turns to those who have rejected Jesus. And he chides them for their inability to recognize that in Jesus is the fullness of everything they thought to have found it their lives on. And so Jesus points out, note what David says how in his speaking he points beyond himself to another, one who would be victorious over death. And Peter emphasizes, and that clearly wasn't David who died and who stayed dead. Note how he points out that what was promised is pointing toward a fulfillment and that there is indeed one who has fulfilled what has been promised, and this is that Jesus, he says, whom you rejected. The one whom God has raised up. And in speaking that way, Peter is also saying the same Lord who speaks in the scriptures is the very Lord who focuses his speaking in and through Jesus Christ. And that to reject the Lord, to reject Jesus, is to close one's heart, one's mind, and one's ears to the full speaking of God himself. 
Peter speaks that way not to be merely accusative, but to call those to whom he is speaking to reorient themselves and to recognize that as they turn to Christ, they will indeed begin to hear, to know, and be empowered to live according to the will of God. This is the continuation of the movement that Jesus begins with his church in our gospel reading today. A reading that takes place on Easter Sunday. Notice how it's three weeks into the Easter season and we're still on Easter Sunday. This is very deliberate. This is very deliberate. It is why Sunday is the anchor of our devotion. Because that's the day the resurrection happened. That is the day of the Lord's victory. That is the day, as is written in the Psalms, that the Lord has made. Easter begins with an octave, eight days all celebrated as if they're Sunday, but the Easter season is also a very long day, eight Sundays. Eight Sundays, and the symbolism of eight is important. Seven days of the week of the old creation and an eighth day, which is the beginning of the new creation. And so we gather on Sunday. The day when the Lord at the beginning dispelled darkness and chaos to bring order and light to the universe. And that day when rising from the tomb, Christ himself dispelled the darkness and the chaos of sin and death to bring salvation and the light of mercy upon us. Note how wonderful this is. This is why we do not have a Sabbath. We have the Lord's Day the day that the Lord has made, the day that the Lord has acted, the day that is the beginning of everything being made new. How wonderful that is. And so it is on this day, on this day where newness is breaking into the world and not fully understood, that we have this beautiful incident of two disciples puzzling over what has happened and walking to the village of Emmaus as they're trying to sort through what they're feeling, what they're understanding, and yet the events are too great for them to comprehend. They're bitterly disappointed. Their hopes have been dashed, but they're not ready to give up yet. It's an odd position in which they find themselves. Everything that they were looking forward to seemed to have come crashing down in defeat. And yet they've heard this odd news that things aren't the way they seem. And they've heard that others have said the same thing, but nobody knows yet what that means. Note how well that often matches how we feel spiritually. We know certain things are true. We want to believe more fully. But there's a fullness, a greatness that is just out of our reach. And we puzzle over it, often together, sometimes by ourselves. And it's in this moment where beautifully the Lord comes into that mutual puzzlement of these two men. 
walking and trying to understand, and he appears with them even though they do not know that it's him. Grace is like that sometimes. The Lord often has a blessing, a grace, a nearness, and a goodness that may be right next to us. But we, like these men in the, in the gospel, are somehow prevented from recognizing it. And what would prevent them? It's not necessarily that heaven prevented them. It might be the disappointment and the fear in their hearts. It might be a certain stubborn inability to think differently. Because note that their puzzlement is taking them away from the mystery, which happened in Jerusalem, and they're walking in the other direction. Even as they're trying to understand, there's something in them that is carrying them away. And note what Jesus does. He doesn't go to them and say, guys, you're walking the wrong way. Turn around and go back. He meets them in the middle of that and begins with a simple question. What exactly is it that you're talking about? And they turn to him and it's, one of those odd moments is where somebody turns to Jesus and says to him, did you not get the memo? <laughs> it's usually Jesus who turns to his disciples and says, don't you guys understand? And so note, they turn to him. How is it that you don't know this? How is it that you don't get this? And so note, they think they know. They think it's so obvious everybody should know it and understand it with the disappointment and the puzzlement that they have. It's a marvelous irony because nobody knows better than Jesus who went through these things what happened. Are you the only one who doesn't know that Jesus was crucified? You can almost imagine Jesus standing there saying, no, actually, I've got that one. And so they, they come to him, and they're so convinced that they've named the problem correctly that you can almost imagine their puzzlement when he says, oh, you guys don't know the half of it. How do you not see what is so obvious? And now we have Jesus doing what he does best. How is it that you don't know this? But rather than beginning with what they think they knew happened to Jesus, he begins with those words they spent their lives hearing. And he says, let's take a look at how God has always been speaking and what God has always been saying and how those words all point to somebody who must do something a certain way. Note, it is the Lord who sheds light on the scriptures. And so it is that Jesus himself opens the scriptures and explains and helps these men, these devout men, make sense of what they thought they knew. And all of a sudden, they now look at what happened in Jerusalem very differently. Because it is the Lord who says, here, in the scriptures already there, the one who is to come will suffer. And redemption will come through his suffering. 
and he will be victorious over death, which implies he is put to death, and he will rise. What a remarkably beautiful and powerful moment this is, where now all of a sudden the Lord has clearly identified himself as the center of gravity of sacred scripture, and that should not surprise us who know he's the word of God made flesh. He is the word that determines all of the other words because all of the words of scripture, important as they are, are the lesser words at the service of the great word. But then we see something that goes beyond this in the story. And so again, look at the placement of the candle. Because it is not just that the candle stands next to our ambo, it stands between the ambo and the altar. Because there is a fundamental relationship between the two. And our relationship with Jesus does not end at the ambo. It leads to the altar. And note what we see in the story. As these two men are walking with Jesus, as Jesus is explaining to them, and their hearts are beginning to burn with this new understanding of the word, this deeper speaking of scripture, they still don't know who it is that's speaking to them. But they desire something more. Bible study is good, but it's not enough. Understanding the scripture is necessary, but it's not enough. Because the whole point is to lead us to meet a person. And so know what they say. This conversation has been great, but the day is almost over and you're about to leave. Please stay with us. They don't even say, tell us more. Just simply Stay with us. We know that you have opened us in some way. You, the one who has opened these things, you stay with us. Note how powerful that is. They don't say, now that we understand we're good, thank you, sir. They say, we need you to be with us. Don't pass us by. So very beautifully then, they sit down at the inn, and it's evening, the day is ending. And as they sit with him after the long day of coming to understanding, understanding reaches its goal, because the Lord takes bread, gives thanks, blesses it, breaks it. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? and gives it to them. And as he does that, we hear their eyes are open. And now they know who it is that is with them. Now they have met him and recognized him. They hadn't fully done that yet. Note how beautiful and how powerful this sacrament which is the anchor of our Sunday observance is. We come not just to hear the gospel, but to meet someone. 
We proclaim the gospel so that our hearts are opened and our eyes are ready to behold and recognize him. But if we don't do the beholding, if we don't do the recognizing, if we don't come forward and stretch out our hands to receive, we haven't reached the goal, which is to meet him, to be with him, to know him. And note how beautiful this is. Because that end of the day where Jesus didn't pass those disciples by, we're still living it. Note, he's still with us. Sunday after Sunday, day after day, what does the Lord say to us? I am not passing you by. I am here at this table where I will bless and give thanks and break and give you that bread which is my body, my very life. Note how wonderful that is. As continually as we meet him in the gospel, we likewise say to him, Mass doesn't end when the homily is over. Although some of you are probably saying, oh, just let the homily be over. Um, mass doesn't end then because it's, everything is at the service of the Lord not passing us by. And our need to be with him and his desire to be with us. Not how beautiful, how powerful, and how marvelous that really is. And the beautiful thing as well is none of us needs to understand that fully on any given Sunday. We just got to be moving and trying to move with him. And as we do that, little by little, he'll do the heavy lifting of bringing us that clarity of bringing us that peace, of lingering, and of giving us himself. Now, having said that, I'm just going to pop over here and bother somebody for a minute. Come here. Because, see, what we're talking about is really important because this little girl spent the last couple years letting Jesus teach her and learning about him. And then just a couple weeks ago, something happened. What was that? You made your communion, that's right. That's right. And know what a good example she is for all of us. She didn't just make her first communion, she's here for what, your third, fourth, or fifth communion by now, right? Fourth communion. She's even counting. Thank you. <laughs> you know, we do this so regularly, we can take it for granted. We do this so regularly, it can feel sometimes a little too ordinary. And it is important to be reminded of just how big a deal it really is what we do here. So as we come forward for Holy Communion in just a few minutes, let us do so with a real joy, and let us do so with hearts that are beginning to burn a little more brightly with the knowledge of Christ, but most especially, the desire for him. Amen.